0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production, now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: Okay, you guys, there is so much more to life than just workouts and healthy recipes. This is all of those real moments, the good, the bad, and the sometimes hilarious things that make life so worth living. So, how do you live it? This is the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. What's up you guys? Welcome to another episode of Let's Do Life. I'm fitness and nutrition expert Autumn Calabrese. Today we have a very special guest on. You guys, they say laughter is the best medicine and after the year we've all had, it's the one thing that I think can help us all escape right now. Am I right? I am so excited about today's guest because I've seen him in person he's hilarious he's a two-time emmy nominee you've heard him on the joe rogan experience you'd remember him from chelsea handler's show and reporting juicy celebrity news for e extra the talk and even the wendy williams show please welcome to my show the incredibly talented and funny michael yo Michael, hello hi Uh,
0: hi what an intro thank you so much
1: you gotta hit all the accolades how are you
0: I am great. I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, Things are are great. Things are great right now. I'm in uh, Vegas. Where are you right now? I'm in LA. Oh, there you go.
1: You're in Vegas. Well, wait a minute. Why are you? Okay, hold on. (laughs) Why are you in Vegas?
0: Because uh, I'm sure we're going to get into it. But after my COVID story, I just wanted to get out of LA. So we relocated to Vegas for like six months until things slow down in LA. And we fell in love with it. And I'll probably just be going back and forth now from here.
1: Wow. That's incredible.
0: Yeah, I love it.
1: Now, when you say Vegas, are you like close to the Strip Vegas?
0: Or- oh, no, no, no. Okay. I'm too old for that. I'm too okay. old for that. We're like 45 minutes. Well, I would say like 35, 40 minutes away from the Strip. So, Got it. you know, we're we're in a place called Lake Las Vegas. So it's out there, you know.
1: Because I happened to go to Vegas for one night with some with two of my friends. They were actually put it, helping put on a show at the show uh-huh. and i like wouldn't leave my room.
0: Why not? How long ago was this?
1: Like a couple weeks ago because the because oh, it was yeah. a strip and it was crazy and i didn't expect it. And there was yeah. people everywhere. I was like, i got to get out of here. So. Yeah, so
0: so you just stay that you know, well, i mean, you're playing it safe and that's good and i and i always suggest play it it's better safe than sorry, you know? <laughs>
1: Okay, so for my guests listening that might not know who you are, can you give us a little background and then we're gonna jump into your story because it's yeah
0: so, so incredible. Yeah, well I uh started in Hollywood, I guess you would say, in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. Uh I worked for E Entertainment. That was my first TV gig. I went from E to Chelsea lately to a little bit on the Kardashians. I was Chloe's boss, uh according to Chloe Take, Miami. And then from there uh, Chelsea got Joe Coy got me into stand up comedy, and Chelsea was like, "Look, you're gonna have a big platform. Just make sure you work hard at it." And they got me into stand up, and then um, E Extra Entertainment Tonight inside. So I've worked for pretty much every entertainment outlet, and I love interviewing people. But then I came to a point where uh, I still host things, but I wanted to make a brand for myself, kind of like you have. You know, you're known. In in your uh, area of expertise, and I wanted to be known as not Michael Yo the host, but Michael Yo the comedian, actor, etc. That can host, rather than vice versa. You're a host that's trying to do comedy and act. So, and that's how I got to here.
1: And you've done an incredible job at it
0: yeah it's it's uh you know what hard work pays off and uh, it's a thing where uh it's moved really fast uh after hosting i've only stopped hosting three years ago, but i've been doing stand up for a while, so things have progressed really fast, so i'm very happy where I am right now you know and uh you know just spread positivity and love that's what i 'm all about
1: yeah it happens like that right it's like taking taking time taking time taking time, and then all of a sudden what do they say? Luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And then when it happens, you're like on a rocket ship.
0: It is because you're ready for it then. And you know, it's, you got to take all the bumps and bruises along the way to get you ready for that moment to explode. Like there's no overnight successes or hardly any. Like I remember uh, I worked in radio. So I remember Maroon five blew up with songs about Jane, that album, but they've been, a band for nine years, but all of a sudden everybody was like, wow, overnight success. And I was like, "No, nah, they've been together for nine years trying to make
1: overnight." It. You know, a decade in the making. Mm-hmm.
0: There you go. There you go.
1: So bumps and bruises. You yes. have a really big bump in the road. And actually, oh, yeah. when this podcast airs, it's a big day for you because it will be uh, the one year anniversary Ooh. from you being in the hospital due to COVID.
0: Yes. So March 17th uh, is the day I went into the hospital with COVID and it was so early when I look back on the time it was so early on less than a hundred people died in the United States from it at that time. And only 6,300 in the world were diagnosed with it. That's how early I got it. And uh Basically, I I, woke, I I came back from New York. I, I performed in New York, and I pretty much feel that's where I got it. Okay. Because nobody really knew. It was so early. Right. I came back, um, and uh, probably about a week and a half after I came back, I just woke up, and I couldn't breathe. Or in the middle of the day, I couldn't breathe, and my wife called 911. And, uh, yeah, that's how things escalated very quickly.
1: So, Okay. So you go to New York, you do a show, you come back. I mean, March 17th, it was literally like the week before that our shutdown orders even came in. The shutdown happened.
0: Yeah. The shutdown happened March 12th. Right. But when they shut everything down, the cases were still low. Right. And what, and what I learned is people really, even doctors at that time, because once I got in a hospital, I saw it first thing, they didn't really know what was going on. They didn't have PPE. They didn't know how to put it on. So it was, uh, They were unprepared for that moment that early.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, how could we have known? Yeah. You
0: couldn't. You couldn't. So
1: so you couldn't breathe. Were you Mm -hmm. having any other symptoms? Like, were you, did you have the fever? Did you have? um... Oh yeah.
0: So, so I quarantined for like, I, I didn't feel great, but I didn't feel bad. So my temperature got up to like 102 So I kind of quarantined myself, but took Tylenol, so it went down. And I think the Tylenol was kind of masking it. So I did that for, like, two days, and then that third day, it was a situation where I was gasping for air. So,
1: And did you know it was COVID without, like, were you tested, or you just were like this? Well,
0: I mean, remember, a year ago, they didn't really have tests. Even when I went to the hospital. Right. Even when I went to the hospital, they had to wait like four days. And this is the hospital. They had to wait four days to get my test back, but they knew I had it. And right. I was the first person at my hospital with it.
1: Can I so,
0: ask Yeah, St. Joseph's in Burbank. Okay. So I was the first person in ICU with COVID. Wow. Over at St. Joseph's. Imagine you being wheeled in. They take in your levels. You know, they do a check set tray. That's the first thing because they think it's respiratory. And the doctor comes in and goes, "Hey, your lungs are filling up with fluid. You got double uh, pneumonia, and we believe you have corona. We'll know in 4 days, well, but we're 100%, I mean 99.9% sure you have corona." And then I and I didn't really know what that meant right then, but I do know that was killing everyone at the time. Corona and uh, pneumonia. Right. Combined. That was it was like you're done. So I looked at the doctor and said, am I going to be okay? And he goes, well, it's going to go really good or really bad, and we'll know in two days. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then I go, and then it hit me that I may die alone in the hospital. And then he goes, uh, I go, I started crying because my daughter was four months old, my son was three, and I go, I'm going to make it, right? And he looks at me, and he goes, we'll try our best. Yeah.
1: Bedside manner? Like.
0: Yeah. But but at the same time, I told him I wanted him to be honest with me. So I would I know what I was fighting, you know,
1: of course. I, OK, well, listen, shout out to all of our doctors and obviously yes. all of the people on the front lines risking their lives and their health and, you know, being there for their family. But at the same time, I'm like, we got to speak words of positivity because, man, you don't give somebody hope. And all of a sudden they don't fight. Cause they don't think they're going to
0: make it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm the type of person though. I told them cause I said, look, I just need you to be honest because, you know, I'm a very positive and uplifted person. So like, I feel like I can overcome anything, but I need to know honestly what I'm going against. Right. You know, so, And
1: they, you could, know, luck, they, they didn't really, know. they, you were the first one. They, you were like, the, they
0: didn't know, they didn't the, know, but it was the worst like, they've had people come in with COVID that didn't stay in the hospital or ICU.
1: Right. But
0: but they never saw anything like me at the time.
1: So you, so, so they you you were like the first theory. Oh, as of- soon
0: as I came in, I, I came in gasping for air. Like, from the ambulance ride to my whole first day and a half, two days gasping for air. In the hospital, they had to put me on all kinds of machines. So uh, you they-
1: go on the ventilator? No. okay, And
0: that's the thing. That's what saved my life, I believe, because my doctor, when I was going in and out, it's weird because your body, my body, my temperature, my second night got to 104.8. And it was weird being in that state because they're trying to lower your temperature. So they're injecting all types of stuff in you to bring down your temperature. But you're hallucinating. And I know my doctor was in the room because they were really concerned and I heard him say, we can't put him on a ventilator because if we do, his body won't, uh, his body will stop uh, breathing on its own. Right. So we, ha- if he's going to go, he's going to go on his own. I remember while I was fading in and out, at times it felt like an out-of-body experience. And I've never felt so much pain in my life from felt like my head was going to explode to my body wanting to burst till I couldn't move. Um, like it was the... It will I you can't I tell people they like describe the pain like you couldn't even imagine the pain I was in. Like I can't even put words to it how bad it was. Wow.
1: Whether you are new to the Let's Do Life podcast or you guys have been listening for a while, you probably found out very quickly that personal development is very important to me. It's something I do on the regular, usually every day. It's important to me to keep learning, to keep growing, to keep pushing myself. And there's two ways I really like to do that. One is with podcasts, informational podcasts, and the other is with audiobooks. I've talked about the fact that while I love books and I love to read, I don't typically read a book much these days because when I sit down to read, I fall asleep. So I like my books on audio. And if you've done any of my workout programs like 80 Day Obsession, you probably know that I love Kevin Hart like I'm obsessed with Kevin Hart. So I saw that he had a new book out on Audible, that it was nominated for an award. I think it was for best book. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to listen to this book. It's called The Decision. It's amazing. It's everything I expected it to be and actually more. I had the best time listening to it. In fact, I've listened to it twice now. So just a great title. I was really excited to listen because Kevin's the one reading the book, so you're really getting his tones and his inflections. And um, great personal development book. It's uplifting. It's funny. It's inspiring. It just like lit a fire inside of me when I listen to it. So. If you guys like Kevin Hart, definitely check out his book, The Decision. It's on Audible. But like I said, they also have podcasts on there, which is so cool. So I've been discovering just like new book titles and new podcast titles and listening. And I love it. And as an Audible member, well, first of all, you get to try Audible for 30 days on them But you also get one credit every month, and that's good for any title in the entire premium selection. So that means like the latest bestsellers, like the buzziest new releases, the hottest celebrity memoirs, just like whatever might be on your bucket list to listen to. Those titles are yours to keep forever in your Audible library. So if you guys are looking for a new way to listen to your favorite book or if you're looking for new titles or new podcasts to listen to, I'm telling you, Audible is the way to do it. You guys have to check it out. You can go to audible.com slash autumn, A-U-T-U-M-N, or text autumn to 500-500. So you go to audible.com slash autumn, A-U-T-U-M-N, or you text autumn to 500-500. You guys got to check it out. There's just so much great stuff on there. I hope you love it as much as I do. How many days into your hospital stay before things start to take a turn for the better?
0: Well, the first day I was there, they gave me hydroxychloroquine and I, I didn't do well to that. My, I think they think that's what caused my temperature to shoot up. Okay. Because you got to remember, I was, I was at the same time. I was working out six times a week. Okay. I was healthy. Uh, I eat healthier now, but I was still healthy. And I um, so I in a in a good and bad way, I became almost like a guinea pig. Hey, let's try this, see if it works, because if it doesn't work, you know, he's a healthy guy. He can fight through it, we think. And they just didn't know what was going to work or not. So, you know, they tried hydroxy- hydroxychloroquine, didn't work the first day. To, then they went to the malaria drug and I saw them give me the malaria drug every day. So they must have felt that worked to some degree. But they were giving me loads of other stuff too that I had no idea what they were putting into my body.
1: Wow. And so you you said you were hallucinating.
0: Yeah. I sometimes it was weird where I was like, this is a dream. I was, I remember talking to myself several times, like, is this even real? Like, it's almost like I was not there. It was like I was in dream state, but I was wide awake. It was the weirdest thing. But when your temperature gets up that high, I guess that's what happens. And and another thing is with the PPE thing is that was a time where they were, they didn't have much of it, but they were learning how to put it on. So I remember when my, all of a sudden my temperature spiked that high, I hit the button and it took them 10 minutes to get in their room. And I see them try, putting on the stuff because back then they didn't just walk. I was the only person with it. So they're not going to walk around in the PPE all the time. So literally every time they had to put it on and I'm watching and literally dying and go, Oh my God, hurry up and inject me with something to bring the temperature down. You know? So it took an extra 10 minutes every time they needed to come in my room.
1: That's crazy.
0: Yeah. Can you imagine you kind of falling apart and watching the person, your help put on, Oh, here's this, here's this. Here's the leg part. Here how do you put on this helmet? Cuz it's all new, right. you know?
1: Oh, no, I it, couldn't.
0: It was like torture. It was torture.
1: Terrifying. But they were
0: just trying to be safe too cuz they didn't know, course, you know.
1: Of course. Yeah. I mean, yes, and they have to and you know. Mm-hmm. So you gotta get it. You know, there's gonna there's a learning curve. That's just what is, yeah. is like Were you while you were there were you able to were you even coherent enough to be like talking to your wife or saying hi to your daughter or your son?
0: So, so after the doctor told me what was really going on, I texted my parents. I remember it. Cause I was in and out. All I wrote was I'm scared and I've never written anything like that to my parents. So they knew it was serious. I didn't tell my wife because really I didn't want to burden her with it. Cause there's nothing she could do. She had two kids, one, three, one, four months old. And I was thinking I probably gave it to them. So I was more worried about them. And, um, Yeah. So I remember texting going back and forth, but it would be like I would text somebody and then drift off for five, six hours and then see, pick up a conversation because I would just pass out or whatever, you know. So it was interesting going back and looking at it that um, but I did keep in contact with my wife, but she didn't really know the full magnitude of it because we didn't talk because I couldn't talk. Right. And even when I stopped um, gasping for air, I had no voice. Oh. It took me about two weeks after that to get a voice back or a week and a half to just get a little voice back. Without And e- even when I talked, I would cough and that would hurt even more. So I, didn't, I, I just didn't talk. I just texted every, uh, like my parents and my wife. Wow. Yeah.
1: Speaking of your wife and your kids, obviously you had it and you had a bad. Did they get it?
0: They did. They did, but my wife uh she beat it pretty quick. She she had no taste and smell for 2 days and my kids they had a, a little fever for like a couple hours but it went away. But of course, I didn't know this till way after. I was well because she didn't want to burden me while I was in the hospital fighting for my life that oh, by the way, you got us sick too.
1: So, you're not burdening her with things. She's not burdening you with yeah. things. You guys are both doing what you got to do to just And and
0: there's nothing we could actually do for the for each other at that moment. Right. And I just felt I felt bad for my wife because nobody could help her out because she was by herself, you know, because she had COVID so nobody could come over, you know, for two, three weeks and then. By that time I'm home, so then nobody definitely wants to come up because I had it for sure so it's like we we became on an island after I got out but uh it was interesting getting to that point where I got out eight days later you know
1: So that was my next question was how long were you there for?
0: I was in ICU for eight days. The fourth day they told me I was gonna make it. That my levels, because my levels kept going, from what I understand, my, uh, fluids and my lungs kept going up, but around the second or third day, it slowed down. But the fourth day they were like, okay, it's leveled off. Looks uh-huh. like it's not, you know, the inflammation's going down, everything's going down. And then they said, you know what? You're doing so well now we can let you go tomorrow because that's when the ICU was filling up just four days after me, it was filling up. So that's how quickly things change. Um, so
1: that like you're like you're the first one in and then you're four days in and before you know it like one minute it's it's
0: packed and the person next to me passed away like they put a person next to me and like a day later they pass away from it so it was like all in real time and I'm just like oh my god and uh the one thing I did notice is so the fourth day they come in and go you're gonna make it so the fifth day we're gonna let you go if you Keep on this track. Cause I was getting well, I was still sick. Sure. But I, I was well enough to be not on like in the hospital. So the fifth day they come into my room and they go, we're not going to let you go because there's reports that doctors, a letting patients go and they're dying when they get home because they have a reaction. And I, and I was like, keep me as long as you want. Right. Cause I didn't want to go through that. So the eighth day finally rolled around and they let me go. And they told me to quarantine. So
1: Now, by the time you get let go to go home, are you negative COVID or you're just at a point no. where you're not so sick that you can take care of yourself? Well,
0: that's another thing. It was so early. You know, they they gave you the 14-day rule. Right. You know, because they were kind of, I guess, the, look, I'm not a doctor, but I imagine the cold, they, they compared it to the cold, not By how long you can keep it. The cold is the longest thing you can keep for 14 days and pass along.
1: Okay.
0: I believe I'm right in saying that. So they're going, if that's the longest, then even if you have COVID, after 14 days, you can't pass it. This was early back then. So they told me to quarantine for 14 days plus the eight, which would make it 22. And you should be good. Because they said, really, at 14, you shouldn't be able to pass it along. So... And there was no COVID test. So you really didn't know if you had it or not back then. You couldn't get one.
1: Right. Because yeah, exactly. Back then, a year ago, right now, it's funny that you say that because I'm in the fitness industry. I create videos. I'm filming constantly. I, we're all very safe, but I have to get tested every other day now. Yeah. To be on you couldn't
0: test. have done that a year ago. You couldn't have done that no, a you year could.
1: ago. Like literally every other day, I drive down the street to my son's pediatrician and I call them and they come down to the car and they swab me and, you know, I get my results within 24 hours. You were waiting four days and there was no real way to know exactly when you were now considered negative.
0: No, there wasn't. There wasn't. So there was that fear that am I going to get my family sick if I, if I leave the room? Cause they didn't know if I, since they already knew, pretty sure they had it, but not sure they had it, right. uh, that they didn't want to get, infected with the real thing because they know I had the real thing. So we just played it really safe. Even the first two weeks in the house, I still wore a mask around them and things like that. And then once we got to about a month, five weeks, I was like, okay, we're going to roll the dice now, you know?
1: How long did it take you before you started feeling like just you? Like December. Wow.
0: not a- Eight months. Yeah. What, it was.
1: What were you feeling all through those eight months?
0: Well, um, if I got up too fast, my uh, back, like a shooting pain, like lightning would shoot through my back because I was getting up so fast. And then they finally told me because they kept trying to figure it out. And then they figured out that my I, I was coughing so much that I uh, misaligned my ribs. Oh. So so they, they I had to go to a chiropractor several times. and They got that in order. So that's gone. Uh, but mainly fatigue and it's hard to describe. You are just not feeling like yourself, like, hey, I'm going to go do this. And by the time it's time to do this, you can't do it, even though your mind is fully in it. And I usually could do it before, you know, like, for instance, I'm gonna go work out tomorrow morning, 630 a.m. I wake up at 545. I'm ready to go. I get to the gym. I just have no energy and it's not being lazy cuz i'm there i'm ready right it's just there's nothing behind it you know and you just don't feel like yourself and uh, another hard part you know because i know we talk about working out and health but it's also a mental issue where you're seeing the death toll rise up and it, you all often question you get really sad like i'll still watch it to this day and just cry sometimes because you see all this death and you went through that and that could have been you. So one thought in your mind is like, Oh, I could have been another number up there. And the other thought is why did I live trying to justify that? Why did I make it? And I think it's, it's hard for people that went through it bad to really get a grasp of that, which I, you know, people, there's two answers I get. Well, God has a plan for you, you know? And look, whether you believe in religion or not, my thing is, but he didn't have a plan for those other people. So that's what I really fight myself on is not about the religious part. It's like, what is the plan? What is like, cause I was right there, you know? And uh, I don't know. It's, it's, you get sad. Like I'm not a person. i never use the word depression for me because I never get to that point, but I think a lot about like what could have happened that, a year from this podcast airing is like i went through my instagram and saw all the pictures of i purposely went back today and looked at all the pictures from that day to now <laughs> experienced my son's birthday my daughter's birthday in in all the great moments in between which i might have not been a part of right and it hurts me that over 530,000 people aren't a part of that. And that really messes with you. You know, just I'm a human being that cares for people, but also it's like, I see the young parents, mothers and fathers dying and the kids will never know who they really are. You know, and that just, that, that hurts. That hurts.
1: So there's like a little, there's survivor's guilt,
0: a little bit, a little bit. I, I I don't know if guilt's the right word, but I know what you're saying. Like that's how they describe it. Right. It's not guilt. It's 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 trying to figure out why you made it. You know yeah. why you were chosen to make it and others weren't. So I don't know if that's guilt. It might be, but it, it's more of okay. I'm a, but it, what did change in me is like I'm open to everything now. I was a safe guy. You know, I I played it very safe, you know, but I'm proud of that too. You know, I'm, I'm not the dude to go parachuting. I'm not the dude to do anything to risk my life. And I'm still not, but as far as career wise, as far as working out, as far as trying new things on the ground, (laughs) I, I will do, you know, as far as hanging out with friends more, being more open to new meet new people. That's me now where before it was kind of like, I didn't want to, I don't know. I've just, I've just changed. I didn't want to be around a lot of people before because in the entertainment industry, you're always on. Mm-hmm. Cause I interview a lot of celebrities back in the day and then I'll do stand up. So you're always on. So I was like, when I don't have to be on, I don't want to be around people where I have to be on. And then my wife was just like, well, find friends where you don't have to be on just be yourself. And I was yeah. like, that's a good idea, so, <laughs> so now I'm starting that as well, so it's all about growth, but I do feel in the last year I've grown where I really never used to think about mental issues where i I had friends that have dealt with it, I've had friends that have you know committed suicide, and I never really could understand you know I felt bad for them, but I really you know I couldn't understand it, and now I'm on a point where even today, I, I get sad over this. So now I understand how if you weren't, if you didn't have the right people around you, if you didn't have the right base, you could go into a black hole. Right. You know. So I do understand that now. So like I said, it's made me grow a lot too.
1: Yeah. It sounds like it's really like giving you a second chance without knowing you needed a second chance kind of thing. Like, yeah. Like, oh, wow. Like I was doing life, living life, happy with life. Until I quickly realized maybe there might not be life left. And then you're like, wait, I'm going to really do life.
0: Yeah. Like, like I said, I've never, I, I, I never felt like I was the one to cheat life that didn't right. live it to the fullest because I've always believed in that. But I think I've learned different ways to live it now. Yeah. To make it even fuller. So that's what I loved about, not love, but that's what I've learned throughout this whole process and how to feel more empathy towards people that I could agree with or not dis- or or disagree with. Right. So I think I've I've just grown as a person in this last year too which if I never experienced covid and went through what I went through I don't think I would have grown like that.
1: That's really powerful. And I mean obviously you, even something like you were like I got to get out of LA and now you're in Vegas and you're like hey this might be the new Well, phase. you
0: You live in L.A. and I get it. That's where your job is and that's where you do your thing. But my thing now is comedy. I can fly from anywhere. I hate LAX, first of all. So it fits that. Second thing is when I need to work in L.A., it's a 45-minute flight. Yeah. Uh, Things are a lot cheaper out here. But the main thing that I felt in L.A. was there was always, you would know, the industry is always there. It's always around. And I wanted to come to a place where it wasn't around. Unless I wanted it to be around. Like now when I do audition, I send in the tape. I never think about the industry to my next audition or to my next stand-up gig. You know? Yeah. I had a, I had a conference call today with a, a network. I thought about it an hour before did it, but there was nobody in LA. I, I, I tell everybody, they're like, how is it living in Hollywood? I go, imagine everybody works at Burger King and everybody's talking about making a Whopper. You know, and everybody's trying to advance to be the manager of that Burger King. And that's all you hear people talk about. You know, so I, that to me, that's L.A. is just everybody is hungry, which is great. Everybody is aggressive, which is great because you have to be in that town. But I don't want to hear about it all the time. And normalcy is what I needed, especially after I went through and I came to Vegas. Her parents live out here. My wife's parents live out here. So I rented a place, five houses down from them. And now I'm building a house in oh, wow. Summerlin. So it's just no stress, no pressure
1: at all. Congratulations. That's amazing. Congratulations on the house. I, I live slightly a different LA world than you probably. Cause I'm, I, people are always like, Oh, well you're so known. And I'm like, mm, I'm known in a bubble. Like, yeah, because I'm not a like TV movie star. I'm a fitness person. So like I'm known within the fitness community. And I live in a gated community where it's actually funny because so many of the celebrities happen to live in here. But nobody acknowledges anybody for that side of them. So I feel yeah. like I'm in my own little, like I'm in the Calabasas. I'm in Hidden Hills area. So it's like. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, yeah, of so course. I'm in
1: my own little quasi-protective bubble. Like,
0: yes, you would say, well, I, I, I feel that, you know, it, and you know, my wife is the one that said, you know, I need to get out of my bubble and, you know, it's not about networking and cause I hate that word networking. Okay. It's about going out and making real friends and no matter what they do, yes. you know, it's to be open to that. And before it was kind of like what I've changed also is so focused on work, which I still am. But I'm open for new relationships. Yeah, you know, like genuine relationships, and I don't care if you have a title. If you don't have a title, I don't care if you're Joe Schmo from the gas station. I just want to know people, right? You know,
1: like really yeah. who you are, not who you're the 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 person. That yes, put out front per se.
0: And and what I love about podcasting is people I find interesting. I'll throw them on my podcast because I really get to know them that way. And friends I haven't seen in a while, I'll put them on my podcast so I can catch up with them. And these are true people, you know? So the great thing about podcasts, you get to catch up with people you like or you want to get to know, and then you build a relationship off of that. That's genuine.
1: Yeah. I've had some incredible people on that. I've like admired and been like, I would love to get to know them better. And then I get to have them on. And then like you said, like, Oh, now we have a real friendship and I'll message yeah. them and they'll message me. And like it, podcasting is such a cool way to get to do that.
0: And that's why I enjoy it so much. Uh, yeah. Cause that's what I get out of it. You know, it's, it's a thing where I've always been in radio, so I love doing it. I love interviewing people. I love catching up with friends, but I have tons of comedians on because that's what I'm around a lot. Right, And it's a catch up hang, you know, but I have health people. on. I have all types of people on politicians on like I'm open to anything, but it's, it's, it's a great way to build relationships and really, really get a sense of who someone is because we all know when you meet somebody in real life, you're just getting what they present to you in two or three minutes. You're not really getting them.
1: It's important for us to take care of our bodies. Obviously, that's what I preach and to take care of our bodies in so many different ways. But it's also important for us to take care of our planet and to use products that help with sustainability. So putting things on our skin that are good for our bodies, but also hoping that those products are packaged in a way that aren't detrimental to to our planet and our environment. And one of the easiest ways to make a sustainable impact is by just implementing small changes. You can start by making the switch to each and every natural deodorant. I love each and every natural deodorant. First of all, I love that it really works because that is a huge priority. But I also love that you can reduce your carbon footprint using it. They use all natural ingredients, which is great. There's like no nasty chemicals in there. They don't have things like parabens in it um, or baking soda. They just use simple, safe ingredients like dead sea salt, um, minerals, uh, and antioxidants. They use essential oils to help with the smell. I love the lavender and lemon and the cedar and vanilla. Those are two of my favorites. It's vegan. It's cruelty-free. It's just awesome, you guys. And it also was founded by two women. That's badass. Two women who just believed in better quality ingredients and wanted to make a difference. It fights odors. It's not an antiperspirant. It doesn't have aluminum in there. And I love it. And it's eco-friendly, eco-conscious. Carbon negative packaging is used in it. So like I said, sustainability. If you guys want to check out each and every, I know you're going to love it. Right now, they have a special offer for my listeners. You can get 30% off your first purchase. So you go to eachandevery.com slash autumn, A-U-T-U-M-N, and you use promo code autumn30, n three zero, And that's going to get you 30% off. So again, it's eachandevery.com slash autumn, and then you're going to use promo code autumn30, autumn 30, Three zero. We all have to do our part, y'all. We got to do our part to take care of ourselves. No one's going to do it for us. And we got to do our part to take care of the environment. So check out each and every, and let's do our part. So let me ask you this question. Since we're talking about obviously these huge, this experience, this near-death almost experience for you, and this wasn't the first one.
0: No, no, I, well, I was 17 and I was in a major car accident where I was in a truck and it flipped. Like I got, I was crossing the lane and I got hit and the truck flipped, and it landed on its top and I was inside. And all I remember was I, it happened in front of my parents' restaurant. So when my parents looked out the window, all they saw was my wheels spinning upside down. Oh. And I remember them vaguely talking, but I. I woke up in like ICU like uh, later on that day. I mean, I was fine, luckily, but that's one moment that it was like literally so close, because the pickup truck flipped over on its top and it was smashed, and they had to pull me out with the jaws of life. So it was
1: Wow. Whew, and yeah, you weren't injured from that at all, though? Like you weren't
0: No, nothing. I just had a couple scratches, but the truck was destroyed and the other car was destroyed. And I walked away fine. Well, not walked away. I mean, I woke up later and I was fine. But it's just I I don't know what it is about the universe and me. And uh, it just at that young age, it changed me then not being so reckless, becoming really safe. (laughs) I've been that guy ever since, you know,
1: the universe has something Plan for you
0: you know what but but uh, you know i also uh, i may be doing what the universe wants and, and to that's do. what i
1: mean like you might just you know it might be the fact that just look in a time where the world needs more positivity and laughter yeah. now has that always been your natural default like because some people you know they're just naturally happy and positive funny people and there's other people where you're like woo! no matter how hard they try it just keeps going to a
0: negative place I love I genuinely love being happy and positive and that's how I pretty much always been maybe I maybe not like middle school or high school you kind of learning who you are I was more of a jock but not a mean jock I was just a jock that didn't fit in so in high school and middle school I was the guy that was kind of like not on any list you know, most popular, most this, most everybody liked me because I was an athlete, but I wasn't cool. I wasn't a cool athlete. I wasn't in the cool clique. I didn't get invited to all the cool stuff. You know, I didn't even win Mr. Personality. So even though my year picture was right next to the award, Mr. Personality, and they had somebody else, in, but whatever, where are they now?
1: Where are they now? (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: But uh, I think I really developed it in college. And then I, I found out my mom used to say when I was a kid, like kids would always when we go on vacation, I would always just go in the pool and meet people. I've always been open to meeting people and fun. And so I it could start it from when I was a kid. But it's really kicked in like over the last like 15 years, 20, when, when I finally figured out who I was. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I Nothing more than I love walking into a room and changing the tone of it because one person can do that. Everybody can be bombed or whatever. You can walk in and light up that room and that makes me happy.
1: That and that's exactly what you do. So like was the, okay, so you weren't the class clown though, right? Like no. That wasn't for no. like get in trouble for making everybody laugh during the day. I
0: was the guy that was, I wouldn't say nerd, and I hate that word, but I would say I was just an outcast. Okay. Like I, I was I was in it. Because I was, you know, I was a quarterback, or I scored touchdowns, and I was a good athlete. That's what got me in. But I wasn't it, – it's kind of being at a, a table uh, full of cool people, but you're at the end of it.
1: Yeah. You know what Listening I mean? Like, you're the there.
0: Yeah, you're you're there, but you're not there, you know? So I was that guy. Where I never really fit in, but I was there.
1: That, that's – I was not even the uh, – I wasn't – I didn't even – I wasn't the popular person. I wasn't even at the table. I wasn't on any of the school like athlete teams because I was a competitive dancer. So okay. I was always at my dance studio, but I was like the nobody knew me. Even though I ended up dating one of the really popular guys, it was more like a how's she dating the popular guy? <laughs>
0: Oh, the girls must've hated you back in the day then. And I didn't. For doing no, that. I was
1: just like, I don't know. I'm just the new girl at this school <laughs> trying to just dance and do my thing. And then, you know, here I am now the one.
0: That's right. That's <laughs> got your own podcast and brand, no, not brand. job, but brand. Okay. <laughs>
1: that's right. We all <laughs> overcome our bumps and bruises y'all. We do. If you keep pushing, you got to keep that positive mindset. So, Let me, I just want to go back really quick to your, to the COVID thing and and saying like, thank God, obviously, well, one that you're here. Yep. Do you you think your fitness level and the health and how healthy you are, do you think that played a big role in how quick you, and I do say quick because I, I know some people that were not better in eight days. And and even though you had a eight months after that to go in as sick as you were and come out eight days later.
0: Oh, I guarantee you, if I wasn't as healthy as I was, it would have been lights out, 100%. If I didn't take care of myself, if I didn't eat well, uh, yeah, I, I have no doubt, because I struggled and I was healthy. Right. Because I just, I just, I believe, and the doctors believe, I just got so much viral load from New York, because I did five shows, 400 people a show, did meet and greets, Sign stuff for people. Yeah, because I did. Here's the thing. They closed everything down March 12th. Before that, you got to remember people, you had the president saying it was a hoax. Nobody knew it was real. Nobody was taking it seriously. I performed in New York March 8th, 9th, and 10th. Oh, my God. So right before the show. So literally, New York was the epicenter of it. Ground zero, yeah. Ground zero, and I got everybody's stuff. So I got so much viral load. They think that's why. I was affected so greatly from it. And I was on a massive tour, like a show, like different city every week. My immune system was down probably. Uh, I've changed that in my life where I used to do shows, finish up about 12 or 1 and then take the 6 a.m. back because I want to get back to my wife and kids. But my doctor was like, you need to rest, get a full night of sleep before you do stuff because you did that four weeks in a row and your body was just tired and, and, and weak. And that's another reason they believe, you know, my immune system was just down and going to being in eight plane rides across the country, performing four or five shows. It's draining. And yeah. I was pushing myself too hard. And then that's why that's another reason I got COVID. I was in the epicenter and I was, I was run down, but I believe if I wasn't in shape, like I was, it wouldn't, uh, it would have been like up.
1: It's yeah, that's that's so in, like so interesting that you bring it up, because I think even now, right, like with how many like people have been home for a year now and our stress is coming in different ways right now with you
0: financial, know, financial
1: yeah. and, and even kids. And, kids and and viruses. And do we get the vaccine? Don't we get the vaccine? Can we travel? Can we travel? Like the stress is still there. And what I've noticed because from all the questions that I get from people about health in general is like, well, you know, I'm staying up a lot later, but it's fine because I'm working from home. And they're not realizing just like all the things that we do that run our bodies and our immune system down quickly. Like, I'm not going to be able to quote the study exactly, but basically one night of sort of lacking of sleep or restless sleep or getting a few hours less does a huge number on our immune system, but the flip side is also true. One good night of sleep can improve your immune system quite a bit. Oh yeah, and people I, I take believe it for that. Granted. Like they take it for granted so quickly, like, oh, well, it's just one night, or it's just this week, and I know that feeling of you know, being out in several cities. I think the most I've done is seven cities in two and a half days for fitness events,
0: Oh, my goodness. So
1: Teaching. I think I taught five workouts, talked in all seven cities in two and a half days. And I came home and was delirious. That was a few years ago. But I couldn't imagine doing that. Like, of course, your body went down doing four shows. And then, like you said, the meet and greets. Everybody yep. comes up to you. You're a comedian. So I'm assuming you have some drunk people coming up to you.
0: Oh my gosh. It's horrible. But yeah. Drunk people in your face.
1: Space and spitting a little
0: bit. It's horrible. It's horrible. Like it, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like how people just lose all types of manners when they're wasted. But you know, I, my thing is I want to meet the fans. I want to meet the people that want to meet me. So sure. uh, back then it was like that. And Now I feel like after COVID, COVID, everybody, it's going to be more cautious, even when it's gone, you know, we might not invade people's spaces bad anymore. Hopefully, hopefully we've learned that. So, you know, we'll Well, see.
1: That was a question. Will you, will you change anything about how you do meet and greets or will you change anything about how you do tours going forward in the future to give your body the rest it needs and not expose yourself to just all the germs and Well,
0: I don't take the first flight out anymore okay. after a show. I'll I'll leave at least like noon okay. so I can get a good and have a good like sit down breakfast before I leave. So I'll do that. And as far as meet and greets, I'll still do them, but I think it's kind of like, you know, I'll say at the end of the show, "Hey, let's be respectful of distances." Yeah. You know, cuz now I think people get it. Where before is just like you would have drunk people come hugging you and stuff like that. And it puts you in weird positions where, you know, that's why I bring comedians with me to kind of keep people off. So it's a, it's, it's a thing where hopefully I will still do meet and greets, but hopefully people have learned the distance thing. And if not, I'll just let them know.
1: Yeah. All this month on Pluto TV, women take the lead in celebration of Women's History Month. Drop in for the best of female
0: talent in film, TV, documentaries, comedy, and more, with big movies like Charlie's
1: Angels, Last Holiday, and Pretty in Pink. Plus, shows like Inside Amy Schumer, Moesha, and Sister Sister. There's something for everyone.
0: Hi, everybody. This is Julie Chrisley, inviting you to listen to our podcast, Chrisley Confessions, on the podcast one network each week we play
1: listener voicemails and offer advice suggestions and opinions based on our own life experiences also listen in to get the latest updates on all things Christly. new episodes every wednesday on podcast one apple Podcasts,
0: spotify and amazon music
1: Do you think you have a fear now of getting it again or do no. you think you feel better about the fact that you had it so bad you won't get it again?
0: Well, I got vaccinated too. So I'm fully vaccinated as well. So like I'm ready to go. Like I, my doctor told me I would probably be clear for a year and a half, but as soon as I got a chance to do the vaccination, I got it. And you know, I don't, if some people want them, some people don't want to get it. But my thing is I wanted to get it because I'm traveling. So mainly I don't want to bring anything home or the least chance to bring something home to my family. And, you know, um, I, I just don't want, I didn't want to go through that experience again because I am coming up on a year. Right. So a lot of people they just got it, but I'm coming up on a year. So I wanted to protect myself from it as well. So Yeah.
1: So how are your fans reacting? Cause you've been sharing your health journey on. Instagram. Oh, yeah. How are they reacting to that?
0: They love it. Like the big thing they kind of freaked out about in January, you know, you heard the new, no, uh, Veganuary. I started no sugar January just for fun on my podcast Yeah. where I, I didn't eat sugar for a whole month. Yeah. And I felt amazing after the fourth day, I was great. So now I'm, three and it's now it's a lifestyle thing. I've had sugar four times in three and a half three and a half months, so Let's it was for my
1: really quick for the listeners when you say no sugar, have you not had fruit either or are you just have no a-
0: fruit for me either really so no fruit, no like I stay away the only if it has sugar going in, I don't eat it now you could process in my body to make sugar and i I can't stop that but i it's funny when you cut out sugar you kind of mindset is you don't want carbs either. So I'm very low carb as well. And I lost like 20 pounds just doing no sugar, you know? And I, and here's the thing. I wasn't even a sweet tooth. It's just cutting out like fruits for me. These shakes with a bunch of sugar in them, eating things that had a bunch of sugar. Um, And I, I noticed like, for instance, me and my wife, we were Starbucks matcha latte people. Oh, yeah, and then when I finally go sugar free, I was like, "Oh my god. I was drinking two matcha lattes a day with 31 grams of sugar in each one. That's 62 grams of sugar I was drinking a day, and I was going, "I don't know how I can't lose weight. What's going on? I'm working out, I'm not." But I cut those out and I cut out things with sugar, and I feel great. Uh it's natural highs, you know? Um I I can't explain it. Like I, the first 2 weeks I was sugar free, I was shaking because I had so much energy. It was the weirdest thing. It was like I drank 10 energy drinks. It was just like, uh, and I didn't know what to do with it. Now it's normal. Yeah. So I I just feel better, and uh, I got leaner. You know.
1: It's funny that you said you were drinking because I love matcha lattes. That's actually what I'm drinking right now. But I make mine. I make them at home.
0: Me too now. Me too. I use jade. And I don't
1: put sugar in it at all because I think just if you have a good quality matcha, And I use a little unsweetened coconut milk. Like, yeah, so I do half water, half unsweetened coconut milk. So it's not all the milk.
0: Okay. I got you. I do unsweetened cashew milk. Okay. And then I do uh, the matcha and you're probably not going to agree with this, but a little bit of, what is it? Stevia.
1: I don't disagree with that. They're like, I'm fine with Stevia. It's funny. So I think I take a little bit different stance on Stevia because people are like, it's not sugar. And I'm like, guess it is you guys
0: okay so explain but, how is it sugar
1: well it's still like i mean think about it it's sweet like it's not not so it's not sugar like it's not sugar in the raw right but it's still a form of and again i'm not i have to, like i'm not the first one to admit when i can't scientifically re explain yeah, that i've read i
0: know it triggers everything sugar triggers
1: it's still going to give you, but again, like it's not, who cares you, if, if you're having a little stevia in there and that's the most sugar, quote, I'm doing air quotes, you guys, yeah. I don't have video on my podcast, but if that's the most sugar you have, you're, you're good. And I will tell people I, so I go, I try to go no processed sugar. I do have fruit. I was a fitness competitor for years. And even as a fitness competitor, there was a small window where we didn't have fruit either, where we went completely into a state of ketosis. And I do know what you're talking about when you say like the first couple days are really hard. And then all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, I feel really good. And I feel light and I feel energetic for me personally. I like, I still have fruit in my day, uh, Cause there's a lot of health benefits from fruit as long as people don't overdo it on that either. But I love that you went like sugar free. I wish I could get people. I,
0: I, right. I, nope. I just, but, but I have an addictive personality. I think, you know, it's the type of thing where once I jumped in, I want jumped in right full steam. And I know you're going to do my podcast. So I got a lot of questions yeah. to you about <laughs> how people, people should approach this. But me, I went in like addictive personality. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go full steam on it and it wasn't for me it wasn't hard after the fourth day yeah you know it just it just felt you cuz you feel it yeah and that's the thing if you didn't feel it and then 3 weeks and you start to see the difference so once you start seeing it and you already felt it you're like that's why i was like uh, after a month i was like let me bring fruit back in and then i go well why like i don't need like I'm sure there's health benefits, but for me, I don't feel like I want to even bring that sugar in right now because I'm on a roll. You know, like if I'm gonna bring sugar in, I'm gonna have a cookie. Yeah. You yeah, know, like let, let's just go have a sugar day, not like uh, an apple here, an orange here, this, this. Right. So I was like, let me just keep it to cookies and like just my cheat day if I'm a if I'm gonna do sugar.
1: Now, when you added the sugar in, because you said, you know, you went sugar-free and then you said you added in sugar or you had something. Well, February,
0: no, no, I never added. I do cheat days. Like, I'll do one. Like, I did my first sugar day was February 1st. So, I had a cookie and a piece of cake and I felt horrible. I, that was maybe my
1: question. was, How did you feel when you had
0: it? Horrible. It made me not want to do it, eat sugar. So, that was pretty good. And then Valentine's Day is my anniversary, wedding anniversary. So, I had a cannoli. Because my wife wanted me to have a cannoli. So then March 5th was the next time, because that was my son's birthday. I had to have a little piece of his birthday cake, but not much. So those are the four times I've had sugar.
1: And each of the times, did you not feel good? Or did you find that if it was smaller amount, you were okay?
0: Smaller amount, fine. But it's kind of like, I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't like, oh my God, this is amazing. Right. You know, so it's kind of, it's, if I eat sugar now, it has to be like one cookie. They got a place out here called crumble. That's amazing cookies. So if it's a cookie from them, I'll eat it. But if it's just some Kit Kat bar or Snickers or something, it's not even worth it. I'm like, I, I'm saving up for like a real sugar item or pancakes with syrup. Like if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. So that's what I love about it too, is like my wife last night watching the, season finale of the bachelor. She had all types of candy around her and I don't even have a desire for it anymore. Yeah. So she was just eating away. And I was like, I'm not going to waste my sugar on this crap. I want some, something that's really good and sugar. Cause what's interesting and last thing, what's interesting is when I was in the hospital for those days, I stopped drinking coffee. I was a coffee. I would drink six shots of coffee a day. So that just went away when I, after I came out of hospital and uh, French fries, I can't stand the taste of French fries now. So after I got out of hospital, I lost coffee and French fries.
1: Woo, French, fries.
0: I know it's crazy.
1: I love a good French fry. I know. I, I used to be a six, six espresso shots in my venti Americano six yep. years ago. And then I ended up with food sensitivities and I, now I'm lucky if I can have a cup of coffee once a week, like so, and it has I to be such good quality coffee, or it tears me up.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I like I, it came to well, my wife's brother looked at me and goes, "You got a problem? Like you need to really watch how many, how many shots you're taking." Because six was like a normal day; it could go up to eight, Oof. you know. But but when I when I got a hospital, I had no desire for coffee. I had no desire for fries, which surprised me. And then I went sugar free. So things to me are easier to take out now than to put in. And I really think about it now too, because I got kids who are like, okay, if this is going to help me live a longer life, well, I'm down for that. You know? So.
1: Isn't it so cool how your body tells you, like, like when you have the, when you really have the ability to tune into your body, like you went through something serious and traumatic with COVID, you were in the hospital Your body is not stupid coming out of the hospital. It knows it doesn't need six stimulating shots of coffee and your taste buds will adjust accordingly to be like, I don't want that.
0: And it adjusted fast. I mean, I remember my wife, when she picked me up, she brought me some coffee. You know, cause I would drink it every day, you yeah. know, like, and I tasted, I was like, Oh, that's disgusting. Did you make it right? She goes, I made it exactly, she, she goes, I made it exactly. And then i and then that's when it hit me. It goes, I don't like coffee anymore. And then she, later on, she had some fries and I tried one and it tasted just like mush. And I was like, and these were great fries where we always go. I was like, what is happening to me? And, but that's my body saying, you don't need it, get it out of there. And now with sugar, it's like, and here's the thing about my sugar thing. I don't fight it. If the craving's so big, I will have a little piece of it just to satisfy, but it doesn't happen much. Not really not at all, you know. So so but I won't fight it if there is a, a big craving for it.
1: I love that you said that though cuz I have so many people that follow me that tune in that really they go like, they go They like, I have to have it all the time. Like, I love that you said you won't waste it on something like a Kit Kat or a Snickers, which I used to love a Snickers bar, but (laughs) now that I don't eat that stuff when I eat it, if I it, it tastes like chemicals. It doesn't taste like what I remember. So I'm with you where I'm like, I don't have desserts that often, but when I do, it better be good. And like really good quality so that I'm not tasting chemicals when I eat it. I want to, I want to taste like a good, yeah. or a good piece of cake. So I love that you said the end that you give in if you're having a really big craving. Is is it your daughter or your son that's three?
0: My my son just turned four. Yep.
1: Okay, your son just turned four. So does your son ever question you about like why you don't have a dessert or anything like that?
0: My son's never had a piece of candy.
1: Wait, yeah. did he had his birthday cake.
0: He had his birthday. Well, No, I don't think he even ate it. Yeah, he doesn't like, okay, so this this is, so once we had our son, he was about six months old. A lady was strolling her two-year-old son in front of our house. And she goes, how old? I go, six months. She goes, mine's two. We just got back from the dentist. He had two cavities. And in my head, I go, what are you feeding your kid? So I look at my wife. And she goes, well, we don't eat candy, really, you know, so do we need to give him those kind of sweets? I was like, I guess not. So literally, he'll be around kids with candy, and they'll hand him one, and he'll go, dad, mom, I don't want this. So yeah, but, but here's the thing. Also, if you don't give it to kids, they don't know they're missing it. Right. And that's the whole thing is parents always goes, well, he wants it. Well, because you gave it to him before. Yep. And now you've created that. Yeah. So don't act like they just woke up out the womb and went, I want candy. You know, and that's what I learned with my son is that we never gave it to him. He doesn't see me eat it. He hardly ever sees my wife eat it. We never eat sweet things when we do eat sweets in front of him. And even if we do, he's like, Mm-mm. "That," you know, and he's such a picky eater anyway. So it's it's a thing where he doesn't even desire it. That- and, that, and that's a parenting tip. Nothing you if you don't introduce them to it they won't know about it. Yeah. So there you go.
1: Yeah, it is true. It does get a little harder the older they get, but I love that your son turns it down. I, uh, the reason I had asked the question was because when I was a competitor, my son was about four years oldish at the time. And when I would go, you know, hardcore on the nutrition, you know, I would make him pancakes or something and he'd want to feed it to me, mom, have a bite. Yeah. And obviously as a competitor, I wouldn't even give him then. Cause I was like, no, mom's got to take the stage. But, um, he would question it, right? So, I, like, it was a very conscious decision once I was done competing that no matter how locked in I am on my nutrition for preparing to film a fitness program or something, if my son wanted me to take a bite of something that he was having, that, like, I'm cool to take a bite so that he sees, like, no big deal because I don't want him to have issues.
0: Even even when you were competing, you would take no, a bite when, or if no? when I was
1: competing, I wouldn't do it. But okay, I started gotcha. to worry that, I was teaching him maybe because he didn't understand mom's a fitness, you know, he was four. He didn't really understand mom's a fitness competitor and she's going to get on stage and compete against people with her physique. So he didn't really understand like why mommy couldn't have the pancakes at the time, if it was a fun Saturday morning treat. So once I stopped competing, like I'll lock in hard for a filming of a fitness program, but I still will say like, if he's like, mom, let's have pancakes. I'll make the
0: pancakes and we eat the
1: pancakes. Like it is
0: what it is. Got you. Yeah. Got you. Because I no, uh, Yeah. So right now he has no desire. I'm sure when he gets older, he will. And I will have no problem. We'll just limit it, you know, like any parent would. But, uh, you know, my, my thing is my thing about food or anything is like, they don't know unless you introduce it. So the longest you can hold off on candy. Great. If not, whatever, that's, that's your choice. I'm not, looking down to any parents, but that's just the way we chose to do it. So,
1: yeah, I think that's awesome. Okay. I have one more thing that I want to ask you about. It's not a nutrition topic. Yes. But I think it's a important topic right now. Social media and social media is, it's a tricky landmine of a place. I feel like, do you feel like that at all? Do you feel like, Oh, a hundred
0: percent, a hundred percent careful
1: what you say, Yeah, even as a joke.
0: Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, You know, I I fight myself on this all the time because I'm a comedian. So it's like you want the freedom of speech to say what you want to say. Right. But you also got to remember other people have the freedom of speech to say what they want to say. So what happens is I feel like people that are getting attacked go, they're trying to take away my freedom of speech. But in you saying that, you're trying to take away their freedom of speech. So that's where I'm on this weird dynamic of like the cancel culture I don't like. Right. You know, I, I look, I believe people can say whatever they want to say, and it's you could not support them. That's fine. Uh, but trust me, if canceling someone was harder to do, nobody would do it. It's harder to cancel someone. I mean, it's easier to cancel someone than a gym membership. I've tried to cancel gym memberships. You have to write a letter. You have to go to gym. You have to meet with the manager. You have to explain why you want to, they try to convince you, they give you months off. It's this whole process, you know, what a cancel culture, you just got to tweet it. Yeah. It takes five seconds. If it was harder to do, I, I think less of it would happen. Some people should be canceled. Some people I think it's just overly sensitive people. Right. And you know, so that's my view on that. It's, it's, I, that's, It's like I struggle with it because I'm a comedian that really won't say anything to get in trouble. Right. But I also believe people have the freedom of speech to go after those people that say something they don't like. Right. Because you're because you said it. Yeah, you said it. So you're saying now other people shouldn't have the right to say what they want to say about what you said. Yeah. So that's the weird dynamic I'm in right now. So I haven't figured that out, but I don't like cancel culture. I do know that.
1: So let me ask you the question that you – I saw you ask Dane Cook this question. Yes. You said, with the current climate of social media, should comedians have to apologize?
0: No, because if you're saying, like, look, there are some comedians, and they're not famous, but they're trying to come up, and they'll say – I've seen it. They'll say crazy things just to try to get attention. Right. And it's not even funny. It's just something just, like, racist or homophobic or – anti-Semitic just to get a rise in the audience so the audience can go, Ooh, you yeah. know, but they have nothing behind it. Those people, like I I, I mean, but those people aren't getting canceled because nobody cares what they say. Right. The successful people actually put words together, you know, that that move people. And I feel that comedians should never apologize because by the time it hits the stage, now I will say this reporters come to big stand up shows. And no reporter, no one should be able to critique a comic until it hits the special, until they watch the special. You go into the improv comedy store, Laugh Factory, you should not be able to write anything about about their performance because that's not finished.
1: Right. They're polishing there. Their-
0: they're, they're, they're
1: working it out. It
0: could have been their first night they're working on a bit. That's like me going to that reporter's first draft of the report and saying, turn this in. You'd be like, no, there's misspellings, it's shorthanded. No, 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 no. You're judging us like that. So I want you to publish your story like that. Right. You know, you have misspellings, shorthand, every, it's all over the place. Only you can understand it. So anytime you judge a comic in a comedy club, that's not their finished act. Now, when you see a special and it's out on Netflix or whatever, that's the finished product. Right. Feel free to criticize that if you want, because that's thought out. That's exactly how I wanted to say it. And if you have a problem, how I wanted to say it in a special, then we can have that discussion. But don't I'm not going to have the discussion with you when I'm in a comedy club, possibly practicing a new joke. Right. And I don't know where it's going to land. Yeah.
1: It's interesting that you said that because, God, what was it, three years ago, maybe three and a half years ago. um, My siblings got me tickets to go see Kevin Hart for my birthday. And Mm -hmm. it was, they were very strict, like no recording, nothing. He's working on new material. And he he did a bit about his son's school, which was funny. And it was really funny to me because my son went to that school. Like they were, they were a year apart. So I'm listening and I'm like, oh my God, it's the school. Like that is so what they do. And then his special came out and the bit wasn't in there. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. He didn't put it in, but it was so funny. I was like, maybe it was just funny to me because I know the school. Yeah. Then just recently his new Netflix special came out. So this is three years later and the bit is in there. So whatever happened three years ago was the
0: bit. Let me ask you this. Was the bit changed at all? Or was it pretty much the exact same bit?
1: Uh, It was changed a little. It was a little shorter. It wasn't as long as how long he had gone on about it on stage. It was a little different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like one of the greatest comedians, Bernie Mac, which I love, but he had this bit uh, about the kids teasing him and about some milk and cookies. Like that was the big bit he did. But I saw they got videos of when he first started that bit. to when it hit the stage and finished and it's completely different. It's grown so much, you know, so I have bits. I'm performing in Vegas a bunch, but I have bits. I started like I just started performing a month ago. First time I went up to now, it's completely different. So for people to criticize comedians that are basically all in rough drafts, you know, without the finished product, the only time you should ever talk to a comedian and criticize them is on a special. That's the only legit way to have a decent conversation because everything else you're going to get, dude, I'm working it out. I, I don't know what I'm going to say up there. Yeah. Because we really don't. We were like, because if we say something funny, we may uh, spur the moment say something to uh, make it better or worse, but we need to say that to find out and taking that creative freedom away is is very tough. I I, I do think uh, in the back of every comedian's mind, you know, there's a filter that is like, all right. All right. I know not to say these things or attack these people or say any." So I think every comedian now has that in their head, right? But I, I think the good ones will still find a way to say things to move people whether it offends them or not, because everybody's offended from something, you know? So like I, my comedy though, I make it about myself. So it's hard to get offended when I'm talking about myself. Right. I don't really talk about other people. I talk about myself, you know, because when I was putting my COVID, I I got this amazing COVID joke that I'm going to put in my next special, And it's a joke about me almost dying. Now, why didn't want to make it, a COVID joke to other people is because so many people had loss through COVID and they could get offended, but I made it all about myself. So you can't get offended at me talking about myself. And I think that's the adjustment I made. If I'm going to say something, it's me talking about me, not me, not me talking about you. Right. It's my experience I had with something Yeah. rather than, Hey man, there's this person over here and this and that, you know?
1: Yeah. So, you're, Michael, you're out on tour now in a few cities that are open. Where can people find more info on your tour?
0: So, MichaelYo.com, March 25th through 27th. I'm in St. Louis. Uh, I always sell out there, but now it's like half capacity, so they're spreading everybody else else out. Uh, socially distanced, it's going to be safe. St. Louis is going to be amazing. And I have a podcast called Morning Yo. You can watch it on Facebook, or you can just download it wherever you listen to podcasts. So,
1: shout out to the stl y'all i lived there for eight years so oh
0: okay
1: yeah we'll have a great show in st louis thank you so much for sharing your story thank you for keeping all of us laughing and happy and having fun and i'm gonna talk to you on your podcast
0: yeah all right cool
1: all right y'all let's keep doing life keep it happy keep it light thank you michael Thanks for listening to the Let's Do Life podcast with me, Autumn Calabrese. This show is produced by Will Sterling for Podcast One. Be sure to download new episodes every week and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at podcastone.com. And don't forget to leave a rating and review.